to wade in after the weekend just gone. We're going to look back, as always, and analyse the standout performances on the racetrack from the last three days. And as the world of racing reflects on the remarkable career of Lester Piggott following his passing over the weekend, 4,493 winners, 11-time champion jockey, nine derby triumphs, and... 116 Royal Ascot winners, quite possibly Kevin Blake, the greatest flat jockey of all time. Yeah, I'd say there's no doubt about it, Hugh. Um, look, it was one of those who would have been before me and Vanessa's time anyway, or whatever, but the, you you two lads. But, um, <laughs> or my it's, time too. It's, um, it's one of those that you don't have to have lived through it to appreciate it because, you know, in racing, he, he's so revered, you know, that you just hear these numbers and these stories you know, again and again and again, and you, you, you surmise them there, and like, you know, 100 plus Royal Ascot winners, nine Derby winners, you know, that four and a half thousand winners was just in Britain, you know, I think he, he, he had another something like a thousand kind of all around the world as well, so um, like, he, he was he was a fair beast, and it was a sporting story, and I suppose high drama as well, you know, the going to prison and making a comeback after five years in retirement, like, it was mad stuff, really, Yeah, and coming back to win in Royal Academy, you know, that's, that, that's uh, a pretty iconic one, and uh, yeah, it's sad because you know he he he'd been in poor health. Um, you know they unveiled a statue. He was a good old um, age though, wasn't he? I was a mighty age, but you know there there was a positive update on on Saturday, and then kind of all of a sudden on Sunday the poor man was dead. It was it was so uh, you couldn't say it was a surprise, but given the the update on Saturday, it was a bit of a shock. Um, Tony, so yeah, yeah, commiserations to all, to all his family. Of course, it goes without T- saying. TC, I'm right in saying you were in um, class with him in school, right? <laughs> Bully, bullied him I'd say <laughs> yeah, do, I, do I have that right do I have that right no, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> weird one isn't it um, when, obviously in the media friendly age we've got now with jockeys etc I mean I, I've got no emotional attachment to him and I'm firmly of the belief that you know one person dying if you've got no We've got no personal connection there. It's just as sad as the next one. He's had a brilliant life. But yeah. I you always wonder how he would have been received in, in this kind of like, you know, this the age we've got now where everyone, every jockey and every trainer and every owner are expected to open up. So it, it's just a, it just just a, a, occurred to me kind of like, you know, how he would have been received now. But, but I mean, the, the, the amount of content and the stories that have been coming out of him on, on Twitter and social media have been absolutely astonishing haven't they I mean I wouldn't be a massive student of the game and I wouldn't be a massive you know advocate uh, of jockeys etc but I mean he just just stood apart and when, when you hear stories about you know one of the best jockeys of all time I mean I think everyone you know you can take out one of straight away can't you and um, if, if you are looking for some content I mean the, the most striking content I've read this morning was going back 52 years ago with um, a Q&A he did with a guy called Kenneth Harris in The Observer. Go and have a look at that. I mean, it is absolutely, the actual, how much of a deep thinker he was, even back then, um, is absolutely striking. He, and obviously, he everyone, would, everyone associates him with being, you know, really ruthless, jocking people off. Could you imagine how bad he would have been in this, age, uh, this day and age where he could watch every single race and pick and choose what horse he wanted to kick jockeys off on. He was, like I said, pig it in the modern era now would have been absolutely even more you know, big time, wouldn't it? Exactly. I, 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 I mean, there's a lot of stories going around about, um, I guess, 
Nestor Pigottisms, if you like, as well. I mean, routinely riding, I think, two stone below his weight, which maybe isn't that unusual now, but I guess his determination to be as successful as he was. One story in particular that I read on Twitter this morning, he was asked about in a certain big race, I think it might have been the Derby one year, why he didn't go through a gap appeared, why he didn't go through the gap. And he turned around and said, well, the problem, my dear, is that the gap was traveling faster than I was. And that, just, <laughs> that was just one of the in a number of stories. But Vanessa, I don't know. It's As Tony says, I'm with Tony in this. I, I don't get you know emotionally attached to people I've never met before. But I guess just to reflect on the mammoth of what he achieved in terms of a racing career is quite something. Yeah, absolutely. Look, like like Kevin said, um, you know, he's way before my time. And I made this point because I was on Sky Sports Racing yesterday. So obviously I was asked about uh, the whole topic. And, you know, I made this point to them that the thing is, is it was pre my era. Um, but when I was getting into racing, because I'm not from a racing family, it's not like I sat around a dinner table and Lester Pickett's name was banded around from my first memories. Like less when I first started getting into racing, I was just learning about characters from the history books uh, all by myself. And so the more I read about Lester Pigger, the more I wanted to know about him because he was such an interesting character. And it's that word character that... Um, you know, it's the characters of the game that get people hooked and get um, our attention, whether it be an equine character or more realistically a human character. And for me, there was there was no bigger character than Lester Piggott. You didn't have to love him. You didn't have to like him. But he was such an interesting character. And it was that that got people hooked. You know, he was far from perfect. And what, what Tony said there about him in this, you know, if you brought him into this current age, how would he have fared? Well, the truth of it is, is that he wouldn't have fared because what made him such a character back then was what he got away with on and off the racetrack. And sometimes what he didn't get away with, let's be honest, but more often than not what he did get away with. Whereas in this day and age, he would be blasted for half of the stuff that he he was getting away with back then. You just wouldn't be allowed to do it. And we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't be allowed to like that behavior in this day and age. But yeah. back then, because it's from the history books, it, it, you, you could get away with it then. And that's what made him so interesting is what he got away with, how far he pushed the boundaries of what you can and can't do. And then obviously his genius in the saddle, that goes without saying. There's been so many wonderful stories that have come out about him and I've loved listening to them and reading them over the last 24 hours. But ultimately the sadness is that we've lost one of racing's greatest characters. And unfortunately in this modern day and age, it is like this gets said too much, but it is never a truer word. We will never see the likes of him again because we won't be allowed to that's mm. the truth of it not maybe not in terms of race writing um, in terms of race writing numbers we could well see it but just not in terms of, of character and in terms of the personality that he was which uh i think is just from a very different era and as vanessa's rightly pointed out it just wouldn't be allowed and um, certainly people publicly would be allowed to flourish in the manner which he did but look i well, mean yeah i'll tell you a quick one you yeah uh, i just uh, talking about different eras etc I saw what I thought was a really interesting picture yesterday. I forget who put it up. I went searching for it there and I failed to find it. But but Lester was obviously known as the Longfellow. You know, there was always much made of his height and um, and, and how had the struggles he had with his weight, etc. And now, look, people can, you know, shrink a little bit when they get a bit older. But I saw a picture of him standing amongst a bunch of Irish jockeys there from, it's from, from a good few years ago now. And, and he looks, he's the, he's the smallest guy in the picture. He's standing in there against Kevin Manning, who's like towering over him. Like, like I think, I think Lester was five, seven uh, and that's not terribly big at all, really for a modern flat jockey, 
you know, and, and people are getting bigger. That's like an undeniable fact, really. But it's just interesting how back in his day, he was you know, he was considered tall enough to be called a long fellow. And, and nowadays, you know, he'd look, you know, a fairly ordinary size for a flat shot. Yeah. It was five foot eight, I think, um, exactly on it. Um, look, we're going to talk about nine Derby tribes. We're going to be covering the um, the Derby this weekend on Racing Only Better on Thursday as well. And we have Money Back Special on the two o'clock, which is the first race, which is the Kazoo Handicap. But we're very much looking forward to get stuck into what well, seems to be an open enough Derby, all things considered, even with um, the horses that we'd hope to run that aren't going to run. But let's reflect on the weekend just gone, if you don't mind, guys, because uh, lots of horses to go through. Adair was ruled out of the Prince of Wales. We know that. So, um, maybe that explains the big tumble on Bay Bridge, who was um, five to one from ten to one after his win at the weekend, seven to two, and then seven to four favourite. So um, I don't know, Tony Calvin, does this reflect um, an awful lot of money going on, or just the bookies taking position on him, given what he did his first run of the season? Don't forget a twelfth win in the Brigadier Stakes for Michael Stout, and a seventh for Ryan Moore um, at the weekend. So is this a reflection of, of money piling in from, or just the bookies taking position based on what he did? Um, all of the above, really. I mean, when you consider, I mean, with, with Desert Crown, when that when when he won the um, when he won the Dante, I think the Stout team were surprised uh, uh, that he can go and do that. I think less so with Bay Bridge. I mean, it was a really strange betting race beforehand. I mean, the day was you know five to two freeze in the morning, and at one time on Betfair, he drifted out to seven to one plus. Now, whether that was the money for the top two in the market or the weakness in the day, who knows? But and Baybridge was getting three pounds off the second, but Jesus, you, you will not, you will not see a more impressive performance, you know, first time out this season than that. I mean, yeah, uh, he was 112 going into it. You know, it'll be a, maybe like him raising about a stone after that performance. It was massively impressive. Uh, they were making noises beforehand, you know, saying may not be Cherry Wright will come on for the run, but you half suspect they thought they had something decent on their hands, and boy, have they got it! I mean, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, there were rumblings beforehand about, you know, maybe go up to the Hardwick. They've ruled out that. They pinpointed the Prince of Wales. A day has come out. And you have a look at the, you know, you have a look at the strength in depth of that race. You've got the, the Japanese horse might come over, Shariah. Shariah Mishriff is in there. State of Rest, that was the North-North, yeah. You know, Baybridge is only going to go one way, you would have thought. And maybe a reproduction of that Sandown one would probably make him there. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all. You know, if he's I maybe mean, the last trading price I saw in Betfair on the exchange, he was 2.7. Wouldn't surprise me at all if, if, if one of the two others fell by the wayside, it, it goes off at odds on on the day itself. But yeah, I mean, as, as a performance, it's as it was as breathtaking as you can get. You think back to Michael Stowe's performance when Desert Crown won, um, Kevin, on his seasonal reappearance, and we kind of wondered as well, you know, would he pick up from where he left off last season? I don't know if you can compare the two, but just in terms of getting a horse to perform at that level, first time out, Bay Bridge and Desert Crown, Michael Stout obviously knows how to do it. <laughs> yeah, sure, I suppose he's had 50 years practice, I suppose. <laughs> you want to be good at this stage. <laughs> that Bay Bridge, I love Bay Bridge all along, to be honest, you know, from yeah. when he... When he won a handicap at Newbury, um, you know, a year ago, we haven't seen loads of him since. Um, but look, the promise has been there. Um, Bally Lynch stud bought into him there over the winter at some stage. Um, they stand his sire in New Bay, and should geez, anyone that's involved in them now couldn't be more more happy, I'm sure, than with what he did at Sandown. As Tony says, like he's probably he's probably going to get revised up into the kind of maybe into the one twenties official rating wise, which puts him up amongst the the best anywhere. 
uh, and he fully deserves to be. It was really, really good. Um, and he, he has a lovely style of doing things. He's kind of almost behind the bridle at times there, but very powerful late on. And yeah, Prince of Wales is, I suppose, the only, the only quite slight question mark you have he might have going there is that if the ground is, you know, proper Royal Ascot quick ground, um, that'll be the quickest surface he's ever run on. So that might be a small question mark, but that's probably a little bit nitpicky um, over a performance here that there really was deadly. Seven to four, any interest, Vanessa? Seven to four. Yeah, I mean, I just, what the boys say, really couldn't be more impressed with him. I loved yeah. his, you know, his his attitude in the, well, his attitude throughout the race, but specifically in the final couple of furlongs, the way he holds his head, his head carriage is so low and uh, he's so game and he sort of stretches out and he's just so likeable the way he goes about it. Uh, I would agree with Kevin in regards to a bit of a ground concern, but if he does, you know, we saw State of Rest and Lord North and Alan Kerr obviously is not good. It doesn't sound like he's going to go. This is the Prince mm. Wells's, but saw them a couple of weeks back in Ireland and like, I mean, judging by it, no offence, Kev, because I know you're such a fanboy of State of Rest, but I mean, you did, on the evidence of Baybridge at Sandown and then hoping that he can transfer that form and probably improve again at Ascot, you'd take for him to go sweeping past the likes of those aforementioned horses, I, I think. He's just got that extra bit of power and speed. Um, there's just so much to like about him. You're grinning there, Kevin. Yeah, you're we'll, grinning. What are you we'll going to say? We'll see him there. We'll see him there. We'll see him yeah. there. Nice. Okay. Okay. All right, Vanessa, stick with you. Um, while we have you then, I think um, Statuette is three to one top of the betting now for the Albany on the basis of what she did uh, first time out. I, I watched it back this morning and obviously she's out of um, a mortal verse and a first European winner for uh, Justify, of course, won the Triple Crown here. So obviously breeding terms, very exciting, but you know what she did, I think, at the weekend took a lot of people as uh, fancy. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, again, couldn't help but be impressed, goes without saying, and her breeding and then the way she looks as well. I mean, she's noticeably bigger than pretty much everything else in the field that day. And it was talked about afterwards in the post-race interviews and comments about her size and scope. I mean, she's it's such a cliche, but she is just going to improve. So what she did there at Navin is pretty impressive on debut. Um, she was very, I thought she was very professional, you know, very, wasn't, you know, obviously it's split into two groups. And then once you got rocking and rolling in the last kind of less than a furlong, but just the further she got to the line, the nicer she started to go. She started to really put her head down and stretch away, really lengthen her stride. And then afterwards, it was very clear that they obviously liked her beforehand and you couldn't help but like her afterwards. I don't know where she'll end up going, but I'm looking forward to maybe seeing, like to seeing her in the flesh because obviously her breeding had significant interest, but she's yeah. clearly a gorgeous individual to look is it at. That, is, is that ability, TC, to, to get her head down and work? Do you know the way, but like first time out, you see a horse and people say, okay, the horse may have gone and won, but was a little bit green and the head carriage looking around the place and they were kind of a bit disinterested. She was all workmanlike and she knew almost exactly what to do in a first race. Is, is that the reason why people kind of take a horse like that out of a race to the degree, which is what they have now, which is three to one for the Albany? I think, I, I think basically the form's got plenty of substance. I mean, Kevin mentioned uh, the runner-up there uh, was second in, in a really strong maiden where loads were fancied last week. And she's come out and beat that horse with three lengths. And, you know, they strung out in behind. And obviously you've got the pedigree and all that. I mean, the O'Brien two-year-old team going into Royal Ascot probably could be their strongest, strongest in, in many of years. You've got Blackbeard, you've got Alfred Munnings, you've got any other, any number yeah. of horses, the two-year-olds they've got going there. I mean, they've got a ridiculously strong hand. 
they, they, they also had another justify filly in that race. Got, I think he got pulled out uh, in the end. Um, yeah, I mean, they got some. They got some fabulous witches. I mean, like I, I mentioned it last week, the two-year-old division doesn't normally excite me from a, from a betting from or from a yeah from a punting angle. But but this year is very very different. There are any number of horses that you know could you know could be stratospheric. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Kevin, I know you mentioned the, the form line as well, the statuette from the second last time out to keep an eye on that race, given how the quality and depth as well. Um, we move on to Chateau at the weekend, who William Buick timed it absolutely perfectly to get up on the line uh, and to win at uh, Beverly. And you look at Chateau's last race, where he was third on his debut. I think the winner of that race has gone on to win, I think, a grade two, and a group two, I should say. So there was a strong line of four there, suggesting that Chateau would do the business this weekend if you were so following. Yeah, it was a nervous old watch now for his backers because, um, you know, <laughs> it was left. Uh, yeah, there, there's an obvious <laughs> there's an obvious line that it won't deliver. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, he was left waiting for room and his his, um, his supporters would have been very anxious, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eventually he found open country. And I came home really, really well. Looked destined to to kind of come up a little bit short, but then just found extra and got up close home. So, um, look that that was a that was a really good performance. Um, seemed to be very strong in the market as well. And um, yeah, look, he's a lovely two year old. But just to briefly whisk back to um, statuette, yeah, because just because I think you have when you're when you're judging this performance and you're judging the justifies like where we are kind of at the end of May, like you really need to remember the context of what justify was like, he, he, he is like a monster of a horse. Like he, he's 16, three, like I think his racing weight was like well up in the 500 kilos. Like he was massive and he didn't debut himself until February of his three-year-old year. So yeah. look, I know Mammy is contributing here. Immortal verse was, was a brilliant mare that um, once upon a time, she beat Golikova um, over a mile. Um, and she's definitely helping. She's already bred Tenebrism, who was out, um, you know, plenty early last season and went on to win the Chivalry Park. Um, but yeah, th- this this was really promising. As the lads touched on, um, Olivia Meralda has been the subject of like really bullish reports. And um, and this filly, a conceding experience, you know, put her away really well. And the thing is, if you go, if you watch the replay, go on and watch the replay, lads. Watch her in the pull-up area. They're after the yeah. line. <laughs> she yeah. is so yeah. powerful. She's like a mile clear, a hundred yards that. after yeah. the line. Um, it, it was very, very impressive. Would she definitely yeah. go to the Albany, Kevin? Do you think? Um, Queen Mary said, "Wouldn't say definitely. She'd be qualified for the um for the Chesham. I know they have a a, a nice oh, call yeah? for that. Um, but she is qualified for the Chesham if they if they did want to do that." And they have done it with a filly before. I'm nearly certain. Did they win it with? Come on, don't let me down. Oh, I want to say, oh, oh, it definitely happened. I want to say maybe. Does that sound right? Oh God, um, this is my remit. Uh, let me see. No, I'm, I'm pretty happy with myself. I've got I that right. thing as well. Ryan was really effusive afterwards as well. I mean, it's 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 quite this season. I feel there's a there's a different culture within you know the trainers and jockeys. Normally quite reserved after races. That's interesting. Go on, yeah. Go on. Why do you feel that? I've noticed this this season. Aiden's been, you know, Aiden can go on TV for five minute interview and actually you learn nothing. I mean, he did an interview with Gary O'Brien a couple of weeks ago. Yes. And it was really detailed, really in depth. And you you learn more than that than any number of interviews. I remember it. Yeah. You've you've got a situation where Ryan's coming out this season 
And we, I mean, not only in his betting dot betfair come, but even after races, he's coming out. And I think they're able to express themselves more. And you've got a situation this week where I think Racing TV have actually grabbed hold of Michael Stout for an interview. I mean, and, and obviously he's famously, he famously says nothing about anything. You go and have a look, you go and have a look and try and find post-race comments from Michael Stout on the Racing Post site or anywhere. It doesn't speak to the press at all. And, and a lot of trainers are like that. But left yeah, field idea, Tony. Shift of people coming out. Yeah, left field idea. Do you think that that is a repercussion in a weird way of COVID? Because obviously during COVID and then in the aftermath of uh, us on the TV have been very restricted with the interviews we're allowed to carry out. A lot of them you have to have two mics and then it's a hassle and people don't want to do them. And it's only this season that in the last, like since the flat season, that we've been allowed to do a standard one mic interview, which means that you it's a much more relaxed and you can just pick people up when you need them. And I'm not saying that that's why people are suddenly doing more, in, like, suddenly giving more in their interviews. But I do wonder if there's a feeling that when you've had that exposure taken away and it's not just a given that you're going to get free PR and publicity from the media, have like is it a sense of people have suddenly, I mean, not with the Sir Michael Stouts, this doesn't apply to those people, I don't think, but more of a sense of like when they've had that taken away, when the ability when it's back and you can actually talk post-race and give a bit of information, suddenly you miss what you didn't have, maybe. But, you know, we haven't yeah. had that for two years. Interesting. Getting more proactive. I mean, obviously, the most classic example would be Luxembourg, you know, when, when, when he had the setback. You know, instead of finding out about it, do the betting or rumours or whatever, they, they came out, they issued a statement, and it went from there. I mean, that was, again, that's, a, that's another culture. That's another, that's another shift in, in, you know, in getting out there on the front foot with it, when, when horses We're all have- for us. We are all for us. All right. I, I, I do think it's uh, it's been mu- much more marked this season. Were you right, Kevin, by the way, was it, maybe? I was, yeah. Good man. <laughs> oh, Good man yourself. I tell, you what. Yeah. I tell you what. You give yourself a pat on the back there. We won't, certainly, we Thanks won't give much. it to you. I tell you, this, you won't get this podcast from us. Um, right, okay, so that's Chateau. So that's you at them. Um, Star Lady M, I think, uh, on the Metro Sportsbook, at, uh, introduced at 41 for the Queen Mary. And um, a popular winner, again, from the weekend, um, he beats um, Primrose Ridge and Your Spirit um, in a pretty uh, kind of interesting finish, I should say. Um, what did you make of that, Kev? Yeah, it was a good performance. Like, like she looked quite promising in her first two, and she went to Chester, and and, and it just didn't work out. And you know, well, perhaps it was Chester that was the problem, and that was the re- the report afterwards. Um, she finished we'll be last back to Chester six. later on. Well, <laughs> uh, she'd finished she'd finished last of six behind absolutely flawless who, who was reposing her here but that form got turned around in no uncertain terms and uh, and yeah look it was a nice performance funny entitles her to go for something like the queen mary and um yeah she looks she's three from four she's got loads of experience have a crack see where she fits in but um i dare say there might be kind of fancier ones um there on the day that have done a bit more in form terms but um there won't be many going there more experienced than her it's a yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, TC Pogo as well, um, just about managed to grab up, I think, a four-way drive uh, at the finish there past uh, Lancash to win. And um, yeah, it was a nice one. The Group 3, John of Gold Stakes, a sixth career win overall as well. If, I don't know if you're excited or not. but Not by it. Not in terms of Sussex State. I think he's naught from three there. Got beaten yeah. in two companies. He's not up to that class. Just coming back to the David O'Meara finish. I thought that Maria Bramwell was um, was very impressive uh, at yeah. Sandown. 
Beat a very good yardstick in Crispy Cat coming over from Ireland. He got form tied in very closely with uh, Blackbeard. Uh, the eights uh, was fought through that. That's got taken into sixes. And I, I really can see the angle uh, Queen Mary uh, with Maria Bramwell. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was very impressive. The third's quite well regarded at Sandown, and that was six and a half lengths back in third. So yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't underestimate that performance. Um, Jimmy Hendricks introduced at 14 to wait, 1. Wait, wait, wait. Can I make a comment on Pogo, actually? Sorry. Yeah, please do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously, like, look, he got his group three win and that was great. But obviously afterwards, it was sort of lauded that that just the Kieran Schumacher angle, like, I think the story with him, actually, it hasn't gone missing this week. But just to reiterate it, he's uh, exactly a week ago today, he's ridden 10 winners since this time last week. He gave that Pogo a brilliant ride. Now he knows him inside out, but just the way he got to the lead, then cut across when he knew he was a couple of length or so clear, then just had like, I mean, he got an easy lead, but he just got the fractions bang on and just lasted home. I thought it was a very good ride. It was well picked up, but he's riding on so much confidence. I mean, he had the four timer at Windsor this day last week. He then uh, ridden loads of other winners in between, but also like you, you sort of notice that he's been picked up by the likes of John Gosden again. Now, pre him having his break away from the sport for his personal issues, he rode a good few winners for Gosden. Gosden used him back in his early days. And then more recently, since he's come back, has, has only supported him with a, a couple of rides. But I thought it was very interesting that he gave him the leg up on that Daremi Dubawi filly that won at Haydock on um, the second time of asking, wasn't it? That the whole... Um, you know, that whole family, really important family to the Gosdens and um, the sister to Two Darn Heart. That's what I'm trying to say here. And, you know, the fact that they trusted Kieran with that ride, which is a very important ride, even at a lower level, I thought that was noteworthy. And he delivered again a brilliant ride. Then he wins a group three on Saturday with Pogo. Again, terrific ride. And then, of course, he goes over to France on Sunday and bags a group one with Dream Loper. I mean, if ever confidence was used as an example of how a jockey can get on a roll, this week in Kieran Schumach is that example. He's always had loads of talent. That goes without saying. But just now, like he's seriously on a roll. I think he's at a 42% strike rate after the week that just was. And he's been picked up by trainers left, right and centre. And he's delivering with horses look back at the prices of some of those horses they yeah. shouldn't be winning and they're winning because of him and he's just yeah. having a terrific time of it and but that's the thing though Vanessa isn't it like you know sometimes these opportunities present themselves but if you don't take them it's of completely no use whatsoever you, the important position is to put yourself in a position to take the chances and then to actually use whatever talent yeah. you have to take advantage of that right absolutely yeah and he's 100%. doing just that yeah okay the old joke as well you like this one tc what did Jimi Hendrix's horse eat? Hey, Joe. Ha, ha, ha. Do you ah. pull that out on dates, Hugh? Because if you do, that's why you're single. That is an example. Oh, that's right. the first thing. That's a true first thing. Low. The first I'm thing I'm rather having putting that out on dates rather than something. <laughs> anyway. It's not, Kevin, it's not a cruel blow. This isn't a cruel blow. That is oh. the truth. That's I the first thing I say. It's the first thing I say on dates. I wouldn't be his friend unless I flag <laughs> crap banter up. Okay. What about, what about Jimi Hendrix, the horse, then? Despite the fact that he eats, hey, Joe, what did you think of this weekend? Woeful. Go away, Hugh. Just go away. I'm Jim Crowley quite liked him for the Britannia. So <laughs> I actually, I think yeah. they're going for the Britannia. They won that off 83. I think that. If he goes up about four or five for that, I think that might allow him to get in there without having to uh, 
uh, uh, win again. So yeah, yeah, you can see it. I think it was. He seemed to. He seemed to think he had a bit left in the tank. Yeah, yeah. He, it, but... he, he takes the whole race to get going. That poor horse. Another good ride. Another good ride. In fairness, Jim Crowley on top, wasn't it? Another class ride. But he was the last horse off the bridle. He got a reminder as they turned into the long home straight with about four, three and a half furlongs still to run. Yeah, okay. he can time it correctly when he gets it right. <laughs> yes, absolutely. There you go. There you go. Right. We're talking Epsom Derby this weekend, but the Irish Derby is not too far away, Kevin. And you found out, I think it's 25 to 1 now with the sports book for the Irish Derby if you're so inclined. I mean, like watching the race here, I think you can mark it up maybe on, on what he had to do. You know, Ryan had to switch him to the outside, got into a bit of bother. There was no gap appearing, switched him all the way wide and came home like the clappers as well. So I don't know. What did you make of Newfoundland's win? Um, yeah, he's better than the bare form, I'd say now, in fairness to him, Hugh, um, two of Joseph's kind of dictated the race to suit themselves in the front end and Newfoundland yeah. kind of looked looked in a bit of trouble, um, you know, halfway down the straight, but in fairness to him, he's picked up and, and gone and got the, got the job done and he yeah. wouldn't have the world's most attractive profile, it took him four goals to win. Um, you know, all of them this season. Um, but look, this was his best effort. And be interesting to see where he goes now. I don't know if the, the Irish that he's entered for the Irish Derby, but you'd wonder, we'll see what the, the handicap revisions are in the next few minutes. But I wouldn't well, be shocked. Well, Snowfall, Snowfall wasn't exactly, you know, quick to kind of get it either. You remember her two-year-old career was nothing to write home about. I know, look, he's a three-year-old now. So maybe, you know, we're giving him a little bit more time than we should, but maybe just the penny is a little bit slow, like like her sister. His sister. Yeah, maybe, maybe so, but I'd say, like, a, what I'm saying is I wouldn't be backing him for the Irish Derby. I'd say I wouldn't be shocked if he turned up yeah. in one of the three-year-old only handicaps at, at Royal Ascot. Now, that might be more his bag off, off the type of rating he has. Um, so, yeah, that, that'd be the way I'd be thinking, maybe, yeah. yeah. I'll tell you what yeah. he did remind me of, and it was quite funny because he popped up on, on Twitter during the week, it reminds me of uh, Constantinople, who actually did just got touched off in a, in a mile four handicap at Royal Ascot. And well, Constantinople, I think, went, went to Australia. And someone posted a video of Constantinople, who I backed for the ledger. I think he got injured or got sold before that. He was finishing second in a, some handicap hurdle in, Aus, in Australia, oh, in the deck somewhere. Oh. But, yeah, I, I, think I, I think I remember backing that about eights and tens and twelves for the ledger. The ledger, yeah, he got beaten oh, yeah. about eighty-four in Werribee or wherever. Mm. <laughs> did you follow? Did you follow Dan Barber on Saturday and back contact? CC, we should we should give Dan uh, our hat to be tipped up contact and race around. Uh, I didn't fair play to that. Yeah, that's um, that's he's been going. I mean, he's he's been touted for a few things, isn't he? I think after the race, the trainer said the old Newton Cup back at Haydock or maybe the uh, Mile Six handicap at Royal Ascot. So. Uh, I know he's been quoted for other race anti-post races, but yeah, it's plenty. He's obviously a horse going forward, and he's a horse a trainer likes. And yeah, Dan got that one bang on. Okay, um, Kev, we should mention a nice Group One success for um, above the curve yesterday. I think she's now six to one for the Ribblesdale from eight to one, and four to one from the Prix de Diane. But a nice Group One success. I think the first Irish horse to win the race as well. Well done to all concerned. Yeah, it was super now, Hugh, uh, because you can you can imagine, like everyone goes to bed in this game kind of dreaming of a horse that can get him to an Epsom Classic. So when you have one that like her, that's probably going to be like a 10 to 1 shot for the Oaks, it's a fairly big shout to to bypass it and, and go elsewhere. Um, yeah. Well, it's not really when the owners have 100 other horses to run in the Oaks. Yeah, yeah, but it is though. Just it always saying. is. Just it saying. Is. Just saying. It, it's it's all it's always a tough decision, and you, you hope that it goes well, and uh, sure it did. 
Um, you know, uh, Rafe Beckett had a bit of misfortune there with, with his horse not being able to travel. Um, and above the curve got there and uh, she, it was it was a messy race on paper and I thought Ryan did, did a lovely job. He, he made it look quite simple, um, bucked her out, r- rode her more forwardly than she has been before and um, she probably won a bit snug. So look, group ones are why everyone's in it. Great great to do it. Um, yeah. Where will she go yeah. next? I'd say it'll be a choice between the Pretty Diane in, in three weeks at Chanty, um, or the Pretty Polly at the Curra. Um, that'll be kind of the straight choice. And then you'd imagine um, potentially you, the Irish Oaks thereafter. Kev, do you think this is her ideal trip or would you expect her to be better even over a fraction further? I, it, it's open I to love debate it, but I now. wonder if we're going to see even better of her over further. I, I think we're going to see better of her full stop now because, okay. you know, the, 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 the bit of the race I draw your attention to is early in the straight when Ryan asks her to pick up. Like you see, she actually kind of wanders around a little bit just before she knuckles down and goes and wins the race. Like, I think she's still quite raw. Like, she's a big, big lady now. Yeah. And I think she's still a bit raw. And, like, she really should get a mile and a half, I think. And, like, she she has a really, uh, like, a particularly relaxed way of going. So she'll give herself a great chance, I think. But at the same time, you wouldn't be rushing her up. I'd say it'll be that sequence. She'll go, she'll go around a mile and a quarter again next time. And then, you know, quite possibly up to a mile and a half for the Irish Oaks at the end of July. Okay, all right. That's the weekend done and dusted in terms of uh, racetrack performances. Then we have some other issues to talk about, uh, guys, if you don't mind. Uh, and we might as well start off with um, with Chester Racecourse because I'm picking that because it seemed to kind of cause the most uh, outrage and um, disgruntlement among racegoers. TC um, at the weekend when the race meeting was abandoned, um, watering on the track, then it was unsafe, according to um, BHA stewards. Um, Chester Racecourse itself released a statement. They refused to give any money back to pundits who turned up on the day, much to the annoyance of racegoers who had turned out and paid the full whack to be turned away, not having the full service of a seven-race card. And um, First of all, what's your issue on, A, the decision taken to abandon the meeting, and B, Chester's decision not to issue any kind of refund, or even just tickets for the next meeting upcoming um, as a kind of a, a piecemeal for uh, racegoers who paid to go? Well, we'll start off with the abandonment. I mean, obviously, this come on the hot on the heels of Beverly earlier in the weekend, Haydock on Friday night, all very similar scenarios. But if you've got the if you've got the jockeys coming out and say they're not willing to ride on the track, then you've got nowhere else to go, have you? Um, whether or not it sounds like the courses, especially at Haydock and Chester, didn't agree with the BHA stewards' decision or the jockeys' line of reasoning. But obviously at Chester, when you've got a horse slipping up. Um, and you know, on on the aftermath of that, I mean, like I said, you you really have got nowhere to go, and, and it was just just by luck that the horse that slipped up was in last place and not first place. You, you know, it's, the mind boggles. I mean, if, if something slips in front, it just it obviously chaos. If you uh, uh, on the back of that, I spoke to a few jockeys on uh, on the back of this. I actually spoke to three of them, and one of them said, "It is what it is. It's just it's just bad luck." Another one says you truly couldn't believe how bad some of these clerks of the courses are. Others point to turf husbandry. Others point to actually the nature of the tracks involved. But then again, another jockey told me, he said, you will not get a tighter turn than Salisbury or Sandown or Epsom. And you can go in there at 100 miles an hour, pretty damn sure that you're going to be safe here. So there's so many things to, to take on board. Um, but even, even at the Sandown example, when I turned around to the jockey and said, Tom Markand, after he won uh, on a haggis horse 
a couple of weeks ago at Sandown. He actually said he had to steady into the bend because he was a bit bit worried about there. So I think for the grace of God, it goes with all tracks, but it, it all comes down to the, you know maybe the watering and you know the actual the nature of the tracks involved. But it's a very complex issue. I think it. I think it. I think it is one of those things where we, we got we got bad luck three times in a row, but. Does it come back to the fact that jockeys just aren't willing to risk themselves for a very low prize money now? Um, you've got insurance factors, uh, you know, and we've obviously we've got some high profile cases of jockeys getting very, very bad injuries. And I think jockeys not willing to risk it for, you know, what, three, four hundred quid of their charity yeah. prize money anymore. So, yeah, I, I think it's you can pick and choose whatever factors you like. But, you know, if the jockeys aren't willing to ride... So be it. As, as regards to Chester statement, they clearly they clearly held their own ground. They just they didn't agree with the the BHA stewards and the jockeys from from the tone of of, of the announcement. Um, it was fifty quid to get in on the day at Chester. So if they were going to give refunds to a, a pretty full track, it's going to going to take a massive hit as well there. And they it's in their terms and conditions, so they stuck to it. Obviously, they could have been a bit more apologetic, but. Yeah, where were the BHO over the weekend? Were they? But, but, but like, hang on, there's no, there seems to be no foresight here. Like, you know, I understand, obviously, you know, and they're, they're they're walking a very thin line when it comes to balancing the budgets and all that kind of stuff. And they would have budgeted for X amount of race scores that day. They feel aggrieved that the decision was taken to not race anymore. I understand that, but you can offer something by way of appeasing people who are genuinely upset that they've paid full whack for a service that they're not getting, and even to say, look, right, have seventy percent discount on our next come in, you know. I don't know, something as a kind of an offer to 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 kind of appease people, I think would, would have been the necessary thing to do here, no? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean you, we've, we, we had a question uh, about this, just saying that obviously there was at the Chester May meeting, there was a, um, earlier on that month, there was uh, the crowd of down, I think they're 35% or something. And, you know, we got, we got people on the questions just saying, look, I'm, this is going to make me less inclined to go in future. Now they kept... I think there wasn't a massive Ferrari because they kept all the bars open till the end of racing and stuff like that. And you just wonder if the whole place had shut down, fine. But four nice. races, the nature of that crowd, social, a lot of people go there for the drinking and the social occasion as much as the racing. How many people would have really got on their high horse uh, about I don't know. I don't know. I'd say I'd say only 15% of people actually noticed that the racing wasn't happening yeah. at Chester. And I'd say oh, reckon? <laughs> probably only 1% of them actually cared that they'd lost three races. Do you know what I mean? Like, as in, obviously it's offended some people, but ultimately when you look at the majority of people who have come through the gates there at Chester, we all know that Chester crowd, you know? Yeah. Good time, people. I just read re the slipping situation, right? I mean, Tony, you've said there that you th you feel like we've been unlucky three times on the bounce. Yeah. I I don't I don't know about that. I I don't really understand what's going on in terms of the clerks don't want it to be any better than good ground, do they? They don't want it to go towards good to firm for safety reasons. Yeah, I think one of the questions wasn't it? Tony flagged up that there's no firm. Excuse the pun. There's no firm evidence to suggest that racing Ooh. horses on good to firm ground. Uh, I, I didn't intend to do that. I'm just an idiot. I'm sorry. Uh, right. And then 
So there's no there's no evidence to suggest that that's too much of a problem anyway. Yet because of public perception, we should apparently now we shouldn't be racing on anything worse than uh, anything better than good ground. So they're putting the water on, they're putting it on late, and it's making the surface slippy. That's to summarise, but that's my understanding of it. Can someone correct me if I'm wrong? Yeah, but the the thing about this is, I mean, I I wrote I wrote um, an intro to one of my tipping columns um, a couple of weeks ago about the. There was apparently undue pressure being put on the Newbury Clark of the course by some trainers regards watering for the lockage meeting. Um, I wrote it, and because I wrote by about 500 words, I just like thought, you know, I just knocked it on the head. I wish I'd have left it in now because I think owners and trainers, they have a responsibility not to hector, you know, the Clark of the courses. You know, and we all know it goes on. We, we, we discussed it before about the Tuesday night of Cheltenham, etc., so I think I think everyone has a everyone has a responsibility not to kind of like overpressurize the clerks and courses, and we all know. I mean, it is you just would not like that job in racing. Probably the worst job you could ever have in your life, isn't it? Because you've got twenty, you could have twenty different trainers, all in twenty different things, all on the phone. You know, morning, noon, and night emails, pressurizing. You just you just wouldn't want to. You just wouldn't want that job. No, Kevin. Yeah, the lads have covered it fairly well. There, it's one of those. It's I always have sympathy with Clarks in most cases because the you know the weather can do funny things. Um, with Chester, um, look, it's obvious what happened. Chester were clearly very unhappy with the BHA. They worded their statement accordingly, and the way they worded it wound up the paying customers, or at least some paying customers, or probably not even more so paying customers. Probably just busybodies on Twitter as much as anything. Uh, we know we have plenty of those in our great game. Um. Um, and look, it was it was one of those things. Uh, it 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 didn't really um, wind me up. Uh, these things happen sometimes, and there is a a rule and a and a policy in place there. I know we've we've had it uh, tested a few times over here. I think over here it's it maybe when they, after they run two races, um, there's no refunds thereafter if the rest is abandoned, and they obviously have similar protocols in place there. You know, those are the rules. You might like them when they go against you, but um, there you go. Okay. Um, what happened to Mr. Beckett's um, intended runners in France? Does anyone know? Did he just what, did he just not make it over? Was it at Min? Was it Brexit? Was it he needs Mr. to employ Vos? he needs to employ Kevin to help him with his organisation and logistics, doesn't he, Kevin? Yes. Yes. No. That's that's a that's a man called Mark Hackett. That's that's a man. That's the man you want there. <laughs> Um, he, he's, the, he's the logistics guru on Joseph's, and he's a podcast listener as well. So we love that. Um, Hi, Mark. But yeah, yeah. I think the story goes um, uh, there was delays at Dover. And it, unexpected delays. Um, I don't know whether it was paperwork related or um, you know congestion related or what, but I think Rafe basically found himself in a position where it was looking likely to be an eighteen-hour journey for the filly, uh, which is far longer than he than he, he had planned for, and would have probably resulted in her not having enough time to recover from that journey. Um, so he decided not to travel. Um, you know, clearly a big blow. It was uh, it was um, it was a Group One. For a classic place, Philly, um, bit of a nightmare. I, I can't think he would have been much fun to be around um, in the as, as that situation was unfolding. That's pretty tough stuff. Um, but there you go. Um, like like I, like I say, I, I can only talk about you know above the curve. You know she went above the curve left. Um, I think it was on, on like Wednesday evening. Um, and for for just to give you an insight into what what kind of comes around these trips, like she got the boat. From uh, from Roslair to um, Pembroke, I think, then then drove 
down to Dover and then got the boat from Dover to France and then drove to, to Longchamp thereafter. And she was in her stable um, Friday morning. You know, so that gives that gave her enough time to recover from that long trip uh, and go and win a group one. Um, but it, it's not straightforward. And while she, if door to door, I think she would have been about 20 hours stable to stable, I should say. Um, so the fact that it, w- it would have been an 18 hour journey in itself, like would, shouldn't really have been off putting for, for Rafe. Just the fact that it was kind of hadn't been planned to be that long and there would have been um, not enough time for her to recover, I'd say would have been the main issue. But um, these things aren't straightforward. We see these horses turning up and of course some of them will fly and it's a bit more straightforward. But um, logistically with Brexit in on top of the whole thing, just to make it much more difficult, um, it isn't straightforward. And the people like the aforementioned Mark Hackett, they do a, they do Trojan work there in the offices of racing yards um, all over the place, organising these trips and making them run smooth. I'm coming how, old, how old is how old is Mark, Kevin? Uh, well, if I had to guess, I I now I might be insulting. Mark would be in his mid forties. <laughs> oh, I'm coming over. Obviously, I'm coming over. And so is Vanessa actually for the uh, the Royal Ascot preview. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to have to allow two days to get to Dublin through the airport. Aren't I? <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what. I read about it. Best now, but we digress briefly. Um, poor couple from Kerry. Kerry to Dublin is a long, long trip. You don't get many longer trips in our country of Ireland, right? They left in enough time. They had a half, a 7.45 a.m. flight. They must have left around midnight. They got to the airport at 4.45 in the morning thinking we've surely left ourselves enough time. Uh, The queues were so colossal that they missed their flight, only just missed it, right? And they were going to fly into Italy on a family holiday. And they wanted to find out then if they could get an alternative flight. So they rejoined the queue to go speak to someone. Five more hours in a queue. They got to the front. They said, nah, boy, no more flights. (laughs) And they had to go home. Imagine that. Oh, don't. Oh, don't. That's cruelty. I don't like these sort of stories. Yeah, but those pictures, those videos in Dublin Airport yesterday, my God, I spent plenty of time in airports now. That is, that is just unbelievable. And whoever is in charge of that place, oh, my God, lads, come on. Fly Jesus. to Shannon. Fly to Shannon. Oh. 10 minutes in, 10 minutes out. Um, okay, well, okay, guys, and um, we'll move on to our listener questions. That we've dealt with a lot of them in the uh, main section itself, particularly with regard to Chester and, I guess, the tracks and the watering and the abandonment issues. So for Andy Patey, uh, John Opa, Adam M, Gary Stevens, uh, John Joe Lang and Andy M, thanks for your questions, but um, hopefully we've covered everything you had to uh, ask in the main section there. Ryan Turner says, there's a question from a couple of weeks ago about the Racing Post app. I've noticed that it's crashing repeatedly when you try to open any previous form for horses through the mobile app. Niggly thing, but it's starting to get on my nerves. Uh, and anybody else find issues with the Racing Post? Tony, do you use the Racing Post app frequently? No, I, I don't use apps. I've only got, okay. on my phone, this is true, I've only got an Uber app. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to install them. And yeah. One of my sons actually. Lester, Lester Piggott had the same issue, apparently. Good old Lester. The funny thing about Lester is that the most classic Lester story, wasn't it, where he had full and final settlement with Ian Ann Revenue and he paid it with a cheque that he hadn't told him in the bank account existed. So that's, how, well, that's why they binned him for three years. <laughs> I love him, haven't you? Do you, use, do you use the Racing Post app, Ken? No, no, I, I don't, but apparently I've, I asked around, and apparently it is, it is a bit, but it's a bit of a, a poor one. Yeah, it's okay. Been, apparently they've had an upgrade, and it's been crashing for a while. Perhaps I should take a leave out of Chester's book and apologise for it. Yeah, absolutely. Dylan Breathwaite says, "What is it with it being Derby weekend and Epsom being a perfect track? Wouldn't a four furlong listed 
stake sprint be a nice addition to the cards? Would it? For the fastest horse of all time? But we talked about it before, like that, that they really yeah. should lean into the fact that it's the fastest five in the world, you know. Like I would have loved them to frame the race that the likes of Patash could have run in. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of horses. We can all think of them probably like just those really fast horses. I don't know if you're running over four, but you'd certainly run it over, you could run it over four if you wanted to get really creative. But running over five, I just hope you get a bit of fast ground and try and break the world record. Like, that's fun. Like, anyone understands that. Like, right, here's a bunch of the fastest horses in the country on the fastest track in the country, a nice fast ground. Lads, we're going to try and run the fastest five furlongs that you've ever seen in the history of horse racing. Like, anyone can understand that. They they had a race that there was a possibility of it going back a few years, but there was a bit of changing around in the fixtures. But, um, yeah, I'd love to see them do it. Cause it, it oh, talk about marketing and... Um, and what have you like there couldn't be anything more easier to understand than that it's quite exciting it's, it'd be a good spectacle it would give an opportunity to those really really fast ones that maybe don't have quite the class of the best five furlong horses around but they are really really fast and in a speed focused environment they could do something quite cool um, so yeah I'd be all for those, something like that those quarter horse races in um, two furlong races in America they're mad aren't they seen some yeah, of them yeah. Christ, yeah. yeah it might only be a short field camp but by god it will be a fast one <laughs> Only fast horses need apply. Tony Abo says, Why are stewards actually on course? Why isn't there a centralized team manning a high tech hub where all footage is reviewed professionally in a standardized method? Inquiries and objections could be held by video conference. Surely, Tony, Tony, as a great pal of mine likes to say in the racing context, Tony, Tony, I'm afraid common sense isn't very common. But there you go. You've lashed out a good dollop yeah. of it there. Yeah, absolutely. OK, good stuff. Thanks for that, Tony. Jurassic Clark uh, says, thoughts on say goodbye, <laughs> jumping violently right on the last two fences, nearly bringing down gin on lime on each occasion on the 540 Limerick on Friday. Yet no stewards inquiry called half a length verdict for say goodbye. The stewards yeah. were out for dinner. Yeah, he's dead right here, how Jurassic Clark. Um, okay. It was remarkable that there wasn't a, an inquiry, at least an official one. And um, we saw at Aintree, I suppose. Oh, God, remember the horse's names. Um, Gordon Elliott's one that got uh, chucked out. Um, and, uh, sorry? Who we, sorry, never mind. Mil Milton Harris and Gordon Elliott stuck in the in the... In the finish, you know the one I'm talking about. Yeah. Minor, minor yeah. interference at the last tiny bit of interference. Um, it was a dead heat, and they 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 demoted Gordon's horse and held up on appeal. When you have decisions like that, um, which are justifiable, and you have something like this where uh, one has, has you know did its best to wipe out the other at the second last and the last, and I know has ultimately won going away by half a length or whatever. Um, but you got to look at that. You got to have a discussion. Because it was like quite a bit of interference, significant interference for sure. And was it enough to change the result? You can argue the toss either way, but to, to not have an inquiry, I, I think, reflects poorly. Um, and as we often talk about, just ask the question. But they did the inquiry. Apparently not, no. Well, okay. Um, Phil uh, says open to correction if there was. Now, my understanding is there wasn't. Okay. Phil Ellis says the top flat yards... O'Brien, Gosden, Appleby, etc. Will they have an internal cutoff point when a horse doesn't make a certain rating and isn't progressive? Uh, will they just move them along? You rarely see a sub 75, 80 horse in those circles. A mutual owner trainer decision. Thanks. Is that, is that the case? Well, all, all these top yards will bring in, you know, 100, 100 plus 
new horses every year and to make space you gotta you gotta get rid and move on and um, those discussions happen in every yard all the time like so, you know in, in, in big yards you know there'll be horses being moved on all the time there might be private sales etc they send them there'll be a whole bunch of horses from all the top operations going to the July sale at Newmarket in July and it's just a constant process you, you hold on to the ones that you think there might be um, that you think have the potential to do better or do better enough to justify their place in the yard uh, and hey difficult conversations because sometimes you will get some slip through the net and go on and do very well for other people um, and so really you probably have to be okay with that happening because um, otherwise you, you'll hold on to too many and I know my own view on it is the biggest trap that trainers of all levels fall into is um, holding on to horses for too long. Uh, if you want to, if you want Group One horses, you you got to keep the wheels turning and get the new ones in yeah. and try and yeah, sort out the, the good from the not so yeah. good. It's yeah. interesting because I think obviously, I mean, he's listed off a couple of names there, uh, Phil, in his question. But every yard will obviously have a different policy, and of course, owner relationships come in. You know, when you look at Gosden and some of the families he's trained, there'll be pressure on him to deliver a win with maybe a you know. Uh, for an owner that he's been involved with for decades and a family that he's known for decades. Whereas, you know, other trainers might not have that pressure. So everyone else got different angles, but you look at those horse and training sales that Kevin's touched upon and some people may wheel off that certain big name trainers have um, a bad record at horses that have left their yard and gone on to win races. But I don't necessarily view that as a bad record. You know, they may well know that when it drops down to being 60 rated, it's going to win a race, but they're not willing to hang around for that because they've got all those big yards have just a list of horses waiting to come into the yard to be trained, to be moved on. And I remember talking to a trainer last season, a, a bigger trainer, and he was saying, you know, as soon as one, you know, even has a, a setback that, ultimately might put it out for a couple of months really that stable's then emptied and you know filled with another new recruit because you just got to keep the wheels turning to be um operating at that really high echelon of winners and you know they just don't have the luxury of having a 500 well they wouldn't want all the stables because otherwise you'd end up holding on to horses that really should be moved on and yeah just like there is some funny stats around you know trainers who have let winners go through their hands at the sales and some people sort of poo poo a trainer for that but they can't just hold on to everything and hope that yeah. it's going to win one one day Okay, very good. That uh, answers the question nicely. Last one then to Docco, um, who says, I work the fences on race day here, and usually there's five to seven sections of hurdles wide at each track, at each hurdle. Why in France is it as wide as the whole track? I don't know. I don't know why, but I know in, in some of the big French tracks there, they'll often swing all the way across to the near side um, in search of better yeah. ground. Maybe they're asking it. for hurdles to be left out wide. Maybe I, I have no yeah. idea, I'm guessing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Listen, thanks for that. Thanks for all the questions as well. And thanks to Kevin, uh, to Vanessa and to Tony Calvin. We're back on a Thursday, looking ahead to Epsom Derby weekend, racing on Friday and Saturday, but racing only better uh, to record on Thursday. So hopefully market card, plenty of winners, money back special on the Betfair Sportsbook and the exchange on the 2 p.m. At Epsom, the first race, the Gazoo Handicap there. So keep an eye out for that. We will go through all the details on the cars for Friday on Saturday and Thursday. Uh, so make sure you tune in for that. Other than that, have a great weekend. Gamble responsibly, as always. And we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>